everybody, welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me this week, as always, Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And it's the first episode of 2019, and our theme of Out of This World. Uh, you know, these are going to be movies that deal with either aliens or space or both. Um, and for our first film, we're going to be talking about The Man Who Fell to Earth. Uh, we'll get into the statistics and such of that. Um, before we get into all the semantics, I just want to say, Corey, how you doing? You know, I'm doing okay. Been a good uh, New Year's week? Yes, and this is our first New Year's weekend, which is even better. Mm-hmm. I, I've been watching a lot of movies um, in preparation uh, for the end of the year, um, trying to catch on, uh, expanding on our last uh, month theme of through the cracks i've been trying to catch movies that i'd heard good things about and that i uh missed um and i've seen some that i really enjoyed and i've seen some that i didn't love so much um but i've got a lot to talk about when we get into what we've been watching but um you know it's a new year uh did you make any resolutions yeah i'm gonna read more and be more quiet <laughs> i say as i am helping record this podcast all yeah. i do is talk you do all the technical things i hope um, and you talk more on the podcast that's my on the resolution. podcast yes but in my your resolution for me let's see how that works out for you but and i'm gonna learn how to crochet and i have oh. started a little bit one of my coworkers uh has been crocheting for a very long time and she's going to teach me and i'm also gonna they're like offering a little thing at work um for whoever wants to do it um so i'm gonna also take that i think mm, very cool yeah how about you um i wouldn't say i have any specific resolutions i have some things that i'm trying to change but i'm i am being superstitious and not wanting to call them resolutions mm, mm -hmm. uh, so goals uh, yes goals um that are unrelated to the change of the year um but happen to have started once the year has changed so you know um but you know the basic stuff just trying to get healthier and uh, I am a film person, so watching more movies um, and things like that, I think, are kind of my focal point. And my daughter's getting older, so, you know, want to do more with her um, before she's off to being an adult. So I just can't handle it. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, thinking 14 years have already gone by. Almost 15 she'll be <gasps> in April. Uh, in April, yeah. So crazy, but, you know, good crazy. And then... Uh, you know, Burke Reviews stuff, um, we, uh, this is our third year, starting our third year of Movie Club, um, so this is, uh, well, it's not, we've actually done more than, than the double, I think we're at, I think this is episode 104, uh, for us, um, so, you know, it's, it's pretty crazy that we've been doing it for that long, and we've watched that many, uh, movies as well, you know, just for this podcast, um, I realized uh, last year I watched 300 and well for 2018 I watched 385 movies. Um, now some of those are rewatches like I I watched uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor three times I saw Tully three Way times um, and I saw Eighth Grade three times. Um, all of those I think in the theater too uh, because of film festivals and uh, me wanting to take my wife and daughter to see those. Um, and so. Uh, some of the movies are rewatches in other ways too, like just revisiting films that I loved and things like that. Like I watched The Matrix with my daughter for her first time, and Christmas movies I rewatch every year. So those all are on that list as well. But um, 
I realized, uh, thinking about that, over the last um, three years, I've watched over 900 movies. And uh, actually, I guess it's over 1,000. I haven't actually done the math. I'm just rounding down to 300. But I watched 384 in 2016 and 385 this year. And I think I just broke 300 uh, in 2017. Um, so, yeah, uh, just over 1,000 movies I've watched in three years. Um, it's pretty crazy to think about. And again, some of those are rewatches, but... Uh, a lot of them are first time viewings and uh, this year alone from 2018, like movies that came out from 2018, I've seen over 160 of them. Um, oh, nice. So I, I've seen a big chunk of what was released just last year. So those are all big milestones for me uh, as I try to expand my uh, movie expertise. And I don't know that I'm an expert by any means, but I'm trying. I'm trying to be more knowledgeable and more versed. Um, and it stinks because I still don't have access to like some foreign films. Like I haven't seen any of the major contenders outside of Roma for the Oscars, um, and so like things like that, which they haven't officially announced, but the ones that people are expecting to get the nominations for best foreign uh, film, I've only seen Roma. So those are things I want to continue to grow this year. So I guess that's a resolution. I want to watch more foreign films and watch some more older films because um, of my three eighty five, I think almost half of what I saw were brand new movies from 2018. And while many of them were really good, there's a lot of classics I still haven't seen. Um, in fact, I don't know if you have that. Uh, I've talked about it before. The um, I always forget what it's called. The, the, they do the retro screenings at my local theaters. Um, I cannot think of what it's called, but they're, uh, it's not fathom. It's the other, the newer one that they AMC. do every, Oh no, no, it's not, it's not a chain. It's like a, a thing that different chains are using. But it's Sundays and Wednesdays, and they show these retro movies. I've gone to a few. Uh, Mike and I went and saw Big Trouble Little China. I just, for the life of me, can never remember what it's called. But um, they're doing Gone with the Wind in two weeks, and I've so never seen it. So you need to go it. see that. I know. I, I'm I'm still terrified of the runtime. Like it's that's like my whole Sunday is going to be dedicated to Gone with the Wind. But it's a movie I've never seen that is considered to be a, a classic. Uh, it's on the top 100 AFI, and I know I'll watch it if I go to the theater, where if I try to watch a four-hour movie at home, I'm going to check out because I'm going to get distracted. You know, like at a theater, I will be forced to put my phone away and uh, follow my own ethical obligations of theater viewing. Um, so I'm, I'm planning on it. I'm, I'm going to make it my priority to go see it. Um, I think my daughter might go with me, but I think the four-hour runtime might have scared her. You shouldn't have told her. And then when she was there, it's too late. Yeah, but um, yeah. So I'm I'm highly looking to that. Uh, they're showing Aliens next weekend, and that's pretty cool. Uh, well, actually, I'm sorry. No, Sunday. It's Sunday. I forget today's Friday. Um, this week feels because I've been be on nice vacation. Twenty seven. Yeah, weeks off. Yeah, for you know, Christmas I wish. But I, yeah, it's it threw me out because my daughter and I went to a movie today, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, we don't want to spend too much time talking about the future, but I did want to bring up some of that stuff. It is all relevant. Um, listener, if you're new to this podcast, uh, Corey and I started Movie Club two years ago because we wanted to uh, make ourselves watch the movies that we've heard so much about uh, for one reason or another, and we just haven't. And this is a way of kind of making sure that we uh, take the time out of our busy lives to watch these uh, movies that are recommended in some capacity or that caught our attention maybe because of an actor or a director um, or a writer or who knows. And uh, as we said, we've been going 104 episodes now. We've watched a lot of movies. Some we've loved and maybe have even become like favorite movies of ours. And others we've, uh, we've hated. And 
Corey and I don't always see eye to eye, although we've seen eye to eye on some movies that are beloved. Uh, one that always comes up is the original Suspiria, uh, a beloved horror film that neither Corey or myself enjoyed. Um, and Corey's a horror person, so that's even more like I, I tend to to not like a lot of horror. Um, yeah, y'all can send me your hate mail. I don't yeah. really care. But you know, for for <laughs> us, it didn't work. And of course, we're not saying you're wrong for liking it. Uh, film is subjective, yeah, yeah. and that's the beauty of it. And yeah, maybe sometimes <laughs> we do get a little aggressive with our opinions. But um, we're gonna before we get into uh, the feature episode, which we will be talking again about the Man Who Fell to Earth from 1976, starring the late great David Bowie. Um, we're, we like to talk about what we've been watching, and sometimes I start, sometimes Corey starts. I'm going to start this week. I've watched a lot since we last recorded. Um, I believe the last thing I'd watched when we recorded was Bird Box, and I I think I mentioned <laughs> I didn't, I did not like it. I've been the uh, voice of dissent amongst many film people, although I've seen more, more and more people stepping up and uh, voicing similar opinions to my own. Um, although the initial buzz was so positive, so I'm I'm happy to see other critics starting to say similar things that I thought, because I was feeling a little alone for a while. Um, but since then, uh, I rewatched Dumplin', but I got Kathy and Taylor to watch it. And, and they loved it, um, which course. I knew they would. And um, there's a movie on Hulu called Skate Kitchen that I think you should check out, Corey. Um, it's, it's, uh, did you ever see the documentary The Wolf Pack? Nope. It's a really cool documentary, but the director of that documentary did this film, which is, it's not a, it's a narrative feature, but the characters are primarily playing themselves. Um, they are real, like a real skate group in New York City. And so the story that we're witnessing is, is fictional, but they're portraying like a real life friendship and bond. Um, it's really compelling. And if you see mid nineties, Jonah Hill's debut, which is out now digitally and comes out on Blu-ray on Tuesday, actually, um, they're, they're really complimentary of each other. They're different. And uh, Skate Kitchen's modern. And it follows a group of girls, um, skaters. Uh, mid-90s is obviously set in the mid-90s, and it follows a group of boys. But it's uh, they are parallel in many ways. Um, and then, after watching Skate Kitchen, also on Hulu, I watched Mining the Gap, which is a documentary about skateboarders. Uh, basically, the same premise of the two films of this like surrogate family that skaters find with the the other skaters you know they all come from like troubled backgrounds mining the gap starts off as a skating documentary but quickly becomes much much more it is about the people much more than it is about the skating and it's really really compelling um i watched a film on amazon prime it's not a prime original but it's on prime called madeline's madeline um every once in a while i watch a movie that i've not reviewed and i can't review it i i just don't have an opinion or I don't know how to formulate my thoughts enough about a film that I'm comfortable giving my opinion. And Madeline's Madeline is one of those. It's it's a really challenging film um, that deals... I don't even know how to say what it deals with without maybe revealing too much. But it is a, a very, very well done, like, visually, stylistically. Um, performances are, are stupendous. And it deals with some tough stuff that I, I don't know how I personally have reacted to it and i kind of want to rewatch it before i ever attempt writing so um i'll leave it at that i finally caught rbg the documentary about ruth bader ginsburg <laughs> yes yeah wow uh what a cool doc um i knew very little about her other than like the the pop cultural impact she's had all of a sudden and i was really like kind of awe-inspired by her 
I watched both Madeline's Madeline and RBG on New Year's Eve, like, morning. And then uh, we had Mike from the Top 5 Podcast come over with his wife and daughter on New Year's Eve. And uh, we were looking for something to put on before the Rockin' Dick Clark's New Year's Eve thing that we, you know, the traditional thing that I watch every year. Um, and we put on Hearts Beat Loud because Mike hadn't seen it. So I rewatched Hearts Beat Loud for the Please third time. Please tell me he loved it. I think he loved it. Um, I don't know how, uh, like, there was other stuff going on, but he definitely seemed engrossed in it. Um, and I, I do think he enjoyed it. We'll ask him on top five this weekend, though, to hear his actual thoughts. But he seemed like he liked it. Um, he was able to, he, like, ignore some of the uh, the sounds. I'll have to just disconnect. Well, um, <laughs> so then on New Year's Day, I've watched a movie a day uh, since New Year's. Um, and I actually watched two today, which I'll get into momentarily. Um, but I watched, uh, it's, I believe it's a Netflix original called The Land of Steady Habits. Um, that had slipped past me, but it's a 2018 film and I hadn't heard of it. Um, and it's got a really great cast. It's got, uh, Ben Mendelsohn as the lead character. Um, Thomas Mann from Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. He's me and Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, the main guy. Um, and then, uh, Edie Falco, who, uh, I'm familiar with. My wife got really into Nurse Jackie a while back. Sopranos. And she was I, Carmella. I've not watched Sopranos, believe it or not. That's on my major gap list for TV. Um, but also, uh, Connie Britton is in it, and my wife loves her from Nashville, and she was on, I think, season two of American Horror Story, or maybe season one of American Horror Story. Um, but she's, she's also a redhead. She is. And she's a good actress, too. I tend to like her. Um, uh, it's directed by Nicole Holenf- Holofenser. I'm not sure. I'm definitely butchering that. But um, I kind of, I really enjoyed this movie. My wife and I watched it together. Um, it's not like a must-see film, but it's, uh, I, I think I'm leaning towards Not Quite Golden. Um really well performed uh there's some crazy stories and ben mendelson's got like he's just really good at playing the kind of dopey jerk that you're still sympathetic towards like he does things that you're like oh why but you're always like well he he doesn't mean to be so bad but he just keeps making dumb choices um i don't know i really i I like him in roles like that uh mississippi grind was another one um i believe i'm pretty sure he was in that and it was good as as well uh, I saw Mortal Engines, um, which came out like two or three weeks ago, but I finally made it to the theater. Um, not not great, uh, not bad. It's a it's a pretty standard like teenage uh, dystopian um, young adult book adapted to a film. But Peter Jackson's the one of the producers. Um, it, it's got some good stuff. It's got some meh stuff. Uh, I like Hugo Weaving a lot, and he's really solid in it. Uh, on the third, I watched The Man Who Fell to Earth. I'll keep my thoughts on that for the moment. And then today, I went and saw The Favorite for the second time, uh, but yes. I, took, I took my daughter, um, kind of, you know, apprehensively, because there are the sexuality intense scenes. Um, it's not too bad, but it's, you know, there's stuff that happens, especially uh, Emma Stone's, I can't say anything without spoiling the movie, and I don't want to do that, but um, I was a little, like, uh, uncomfortable for those couple moments, but um, I think she really liked it. I liked it as much as I did the first time. Been really disappointed. Um, Matt, our our friend from what I watched tonight, did not I like saw it, that. and it, it it's just, crazy. I mean, we don't see eye to eye on. <laughs> yeah, I know, and we don't see eye to eye on everything, but it is rare for us to disagree so much because I love the favorite. Um, like it, it could be in my top ten, possibly. I'm not saying for sure because we'll we'll talk about it in the top five in a couple of weeks. But um, yeah, uh, I was really shocked that he hated it, but. Um, and we, I just finished like literally 15 minutes at most before we started recording, uh, a film that I had 
pretty much written off as one I wouldn't watch, uh, called The Writer. Um, it's tech. If you look at like IMDb, it's gonna say 2017, but its official release date was April of 2018. Um, and oh man, Corey, have you heard of this movie? I don't think so. So I, I had heard about it. It was at the Florida Film Festival, and I skipped it, um, which I now severely regret. Um, I I've been listening to like other podcasts, top ten, top five, you know, top twenty movies and whatnot. And the writer's been on a few of them, and so I was like, man, I really need to check this out. And I uh, I hit up Redbox tonight, and I rented the writer and Mandy, the Nicolas Cage movie. Oh, uh, yeah. tell me how that is. <laughs> uh, I will. I want to watch that in the morning, but um. Kathy and I watched the writer tonight because uh, it's it's a it's about a rodeo guy who's been injured and him kind of dealing with what does he do now because he's t- being told he can't ride again but it, it's it's who he is so there's this whole like introspective it's it's a modern day western um I, oh I John I thought you were saying the writer not oh, no. the writer the writer so yes I have seen seen this oh you've seen it the, no 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 oh, okay the trailer. Mm. well yeah i sorry the rider um i i still kind of like in shock of the film it's so it's so touching it's so impressive and um something i didn't realize about halfway through the film but most of the actors are not actors they're playing themselves or at least a version of themselves it's not a documentary it is a narrative um but it's it's kind of like I guess if you want to go way back to like Eight Mile with Eminem playing the character who's not called Eminem and not called Marshall Mathers, but is very clearly based on that person. But he was the only one playing himself. This movie, like there are like the the main character is playing himself, but they changed his last name. The dad, his dad in the movie is his real dad. His sister in the movie is his real sister. There's a friend that he goes to visit. That's his real friend. It's the real person. And when you know that, like you can hear it a little bit in the beginning with like some of the dialogue feels a little like someone trying to read lines. But by the end, I was so blown away that these weren't professional actors and the story that they shared because it's so personal and it's so intimate. I I am so glad I did not sleep on this movie because this is definitely one um, I'd written off and I want to give credit though. I feel like if I watched this back at the Florida film festival, which would have been in April, I may not have appreciated it as much as I do right now after two months of being completely immersed in Red Dead Redemption 2, where I was attached to horses and I was a cowboy, you know, virtually for two months as I went through a story. Um, and I, I, I know that for a fact because before I played the first Red Dead Redemption, I had never had an interest in Westerns. And after playing Red Dead Redemption, I found myself like craving Westerns and I was uh, seeking out some that I could get my hands on easily. I still haven't seen some of the big Westerns, uh, but it's, it's a genre that I've opened up to tremendously. Um, and then the writer modern day Western, um, that does have an emphasis on, on horses, but, uh, which I don't know, Corey, if you know this, I've made a, a running joke that like Matt, Matt very much makes this joke about me. I don't generally like movies about horses. Um, I would say this one is not about horses though. The horses are a major part of it, but it's not, about them it's about the person who rides them in particular this one guy and it, it is it is an amazing movie i i don't know where it's going to end up in my top uh of the year but it's it's wow um 
it's one of those films that I know it's going to sit with me for days. Like it, it's, I am feeling the weight of it still right now. And it's even, it's a little hard to, uh, it's, it's somber. Like I, I didn't cry, but I have felt like I've wanted to cry for a good hour. You know, like, um, it's just been kind of sitting on the, on the precipice of it. So, uh, if you get a chance, Corey, I highly recommend checking out the writer. Uh, Kathy also very much enjoyed it. Um, she had to leave for like 10 minutes to help a friend out with something. And she came back and I could tell she was very like agitated that she had to walk out on it. But, um, yeah, really, really good. But that's what I've been watching, uh, several movies since the last time we recorded. I apologize for taking quite so long. Um, what have you been watching, Corey? Yeah, Johnny, talk a lot. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, this has apparently been the year of uh, documentaries for me. Mm. Um, I, I still haven't watched as many as most people, but more than I feel like I usually do. Me too. Um, so, so I watched on Netflix. It's a Netflix original that was produced by Leonardo DiCaprio and oh. his dad. <laughs> so, But it's called Struggle. It's um, the life and lost art of Zulowski, and I know I just butchered that, but he was a Polish artist. His work was beautiful, but he just never became as well-known as he should have been. Like, he should be in, you know, part of art history, and he's not, but that was very good. Um do you know what year it came out? I think that it might have been this year. Um, Man, there's a I lot was just, of movies called Struggle. Um, it I can look it up. It's Struggle, the life. Yeah, this year, the life and lost art of Zulowski. Zulowski. Oh, there it is. Got it. Um, because in the middle of it, there's this awkward, like they like flash a picture of a little Leonardo DiCaprio with this artist. And I'm like, uh-huh. Before I knew that it was produced by him. I don't ah. know how I missed that in the opening, but um, it's it, the connection with the people that ended up helping make this documentary are people that became his friends over uh, probably, I would say a couple of decades, but they were much younger than him. Mm-hmm. I would say probably in their thirties when they first met him and he was probably in his, late 60s early 70s and they came from a very different art world they were like comic book um you know artists or like things like that so very different and just like i i liked that part of it a lot um so i recommend it as a person who doesn't usually watch documentaries i watched mod Modi. sorry sorry it stars uh sally hawkins and um Ethan Hawke, and it's oh. about folk artist Maude Lewis. Um, she, she died in 1960s. I like that a lot, but I felt I did some um, researching after I watched the movie last night, and they, I mean, if I was Ethan Hawke, I wouldn't want to play a jerk either, but I think that they really toned down how her husband probably was in real life because some of the research I was doing afterwards, uh, there are a lot of people who think that he continued making fraudulent pieces of art Mm. and saying they were by her to sell them after she died. Um, But I thought it was very interesting to use that word that we shouldn't use. And it's very quiet and a little bit slow though. So beware. Mm. And then I've been watching Parks and Rec for the fourth time. And guys, so I'm an insomniac and 
I like I watched The Joy of Painting by <laughs> Rob Ross. Bob, Bob Ross. Ross, sorry, Bob Ross. And I swear, like, the episodes aren't even 30 minutes, but I totally fell asleep. Like, Hi, there you go. 15 or 20 minutes into it, and I'm like, oh my god, this stuff works. So, and that's on Netflix, the one season. So, oh, that's I watched an episode of that. Yeah, I we used to have to watch that in art in art class when I was in ninth and tenth grade, I think. Um, sometimes I don't really remember how it fit into the curriculum, but you know, that was pretty good. Yeah, I used to watch a lot of those PBS shows with my grandparents, um, cooking shows and stuff like that. I like the Frugal Gourmet was one Ooh. that my grandma watched when I was a kid, and uh, um, Julia uh, Childs, we used to watch whatever show she had on, and then when I was like in uh, middle high school, I would watch the New Yankee Workshop on PBS. It was like a guy doing like woodworking stuff with like old school tools. Um, you know, he would he would use. In, in fact, he would even make like his own tools to use. Like uh, I don't know. I, I had a, a like I would just sit and watch those. I watch. I go. I get in phases with cooking shows where I will like watch cooking shows obsessively. But um, yeah, that's what we've been watching uh, basically since the new year. Although some of those movies I watched before the the new year changed, but um, been active this week with film all right let's get into the man who fell to earth uh the stats from 1976 uh the plot synopsis according to imdb.com an alien must pose as a human to save his dying planet but a woman and greed of other men create complications um it has an 81 medic score but that is out of only nine reviews a 6.7 imdb user rating uh, stars David Bowie, Rip Torn, Candy Clark, Buck Henry, Bernie Casey, um, Tony Messia. I'm trying to see if there's anybody else of uh, fame here. Looks like that's about the gist of it. Director uh, Nicholas Roeg, or Rogue, Roag. Not 100% on that. I apologize for butchering it. Um, so he just passed away last uh, last year. Which is part of the reason that sparked your interest in this, correct? Yes, and I read the book. Oh, you read the book. Yes. Interesting. Um, well, right away, before we get into the movie, is the book better or the movie better? Hands down. Which one? The There have only been two instances in my life where the movie has been better than the book. Um, everything is illuminated. I fucking hated that book. Excuse my language. And uh, The Princess Bride. And that's the same sentiments. I effing hated that book. And I love the movies mm. so much. So the book was hands down a million times better. Well, I'm going to quickly, before we get into our reviews, I'm going to read the first paragraph of Roger Ebert's review, uh, written back in uh, 76, it looks like. Um, it requires an almost courageous leap of the imagination to take Nicholas Rogue's The Man Who Fell to Earth seriously. Here's a film so preposterous and posturing, so filled with gaps of logic and continuity, that if it weren't so solemn, there'd be the temptation to laugh aloud. And yet, at the same time, this is a film filled with interesting ideas. It's like a bunch of tentative sketches for a more assured film that was never made. So uh, he gave it, looks like, two and a half stars. Um, I think his tradition... I can't remember if Ebert only did four stars or if he did... Yeah, I think he traditionally does four stars. So that's a pretty decent uh rating really it's not a obviously he's not praising the film um at least not in the first paragraph he's saying there's something there but what the crap um and that kind of is how i felt about the film Corey. 
Um, Corey picked this ep- uh, movie. Again, if you're new to the show, we alternate weeks. Um, the only rule is that one of us has to have never seen the movie or not seen it in a way that we feel like we're the same person now watching it. Um, meaning, like, if we watched it when we were a kid, the way we watch it now is going to be very different. Uh, neither of us had seen this film, though. And um, I didn't know what I was getting into at all. In fact, uh, I'd only heard of this film passingly. Um, and obviously, because of David Bowie uh, passing away, I'd heard about it um, from from him. Uh, you know, just people been talking about it since his passing. And uh, I'm not sure. Is Kenny Clark still alive? She is. So she's the last one of the three main characters because Rip Torn died a few years back. Um, I thought maybe I'm wrong. No, I'm sure he's dead. IMDb does not have his death date. Uh, but I because he was in Men in Black and I remember them making a big thing when he died interesting that they don't have that it is because like david bowie's is on there maybe i'm wrong but i could have swore they had a big thing about Um, it when he died because he was zed in um men in black oh yeah no it's i'm on his imdb which also doesn't necessarily mean anything but it says that he's currently age 87 really man i i could have swore he was dead i'm gonna google it um yeah i'm googling it and i'm not finding Rip torn dead. No, I guess not. Well, interesting. Uh, I could have swore he was dead, but uh, does does not appear to be. Um. Uh, well, then what was that I heard about Zed? Okay, listeners, sometimes I'm wrong. Um, I apologize for that, Rip Torn. If you're listening, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I thought you were dead. Uh. I swore they made a big thing about him not being Zed because he's not even he's not going to be in the new Men in Black movie. Maybe he got sick or something. And that's what confused me. Oh, like maybe he had a stroke or a coma or cancer. Or who knows? I hope not. I hope he's healthy. Um, I'm wishing nothing bad on Rip Torn. But um, this movie, though, let's get back to the, the subject at hand here. The Man Who Fell to Earth. I, I It's long. First of all, I mean, it's over two hours, which Corey picked, and that's unusual. Um, it's two hours and 19 minutes. Yeah, it felt a little longer to me uh, at times. Um, I was, it's definitely experimental, and so there's a part of me that appreciates the the oddity that the film is. Um, it doesn't mean I enjoy it necessarily, but I appreciate it. I can see, okay, maybe this isn't for me. It's, set, it's in the 70s. Uh, that time period, you know, drugs and sex were of the norm. Uh, the sexuality in this film is crazy. Um, especially there's so much nudity in this movie. Like there's, I mean, there's not, if you were to base it on the amount of nudity to the two hour and 20 minute runtime, but I was not expecting, um, one, I don't know for sure if David Bowie's junk was what I saw or if he had a stand in. Okay. So he didn't have a stand in. And well, I'm guessing, and also Rip Torn. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the the girl spoke into his penis like a microphone. Um, there were three, at least three, or if not four, sex scenes with Rip Torn and very like eighteen year old girls. Um, then Candy, uh, I, for, I already forgot her last name. Candy Clark, Clark uh, is naked a couple of times. Um, and. There, there's nothing necessarily wrong with it. It, um, 
there are some definitely discomfort things because when Rip Torn's with the 18 year olds, he keeps saying, you're not like my, my father. And it's like, that's unbelievably creepy. Um, I felt like they were just awkward. They, there was like nothing natural about any of them. And oh, even how it's presented. Cause it's like cross cut. Like, like we're seeing him in what appears to be like a montage, but there's only two girls. So there's really no, montage element like we would if we were seeing multiple girls to get the idea that he did this a lot i mean two is still a lot don't get me wrong i'm not like encouraging uh college professors sleeping with like every one of his students but that was i feel like the implication was that he was like fooling around with any girl he could um and then he just gets tired of that like uh character motivations are questionable at best um they you know people do some stuff that i'm not quite sure I fully grasp um, the whole alien thing, uh, which is in the plot synopsis, is not made clear in the film. I mean, it's alluded to, but I don't think it becomes like definitive for a good hour into the movie. Uh, but it's in the plot synopsis, so I kind of feel like it shouldn't be. Because um, think, like, think of that opening sequence, right? Well, okay, so there's the really weird David Lynch type opening sequence uh, where, like, you see like weird shapes, and I think it's supposed to be like a spaceship crashing into something but then we see him walking down a hill that's really what i'm thinking when i say opening sequence him walking down the hill does not tell us much right like he could be anybody uh he's got a few weird mannerisms but nothing that says alien but if you read the synopsis you're already thinking he's an alien you know what i mean like yeah because they're not gonna have to work hard (laughs) no no And even there's a point um, in the middle of the movie where I thought for a second maybe he was a fallen angel because they started talking about God and he was, you know, the way he was reacting to them talking about God. I thought for a moment maybe that was the direction they were going, but I already had knew that he was an alien. But like that's like I feel like not knowing that could have made the movie a little more mysterious, you know, because I feel like they play it as a mystery. Like it's not definitive until it's definitive when he says it and he reveals that he's an alien um but and uh, we're not in spoilers yet but like that was there so before we get into spoilers i guess um i i would say i did not love this movie um i don't think i liked it either but i don't think i disliked it i'm somewhere in the middle um it's an oddity. There are moments that I enjoyed. I, I don't... I, I am one... Experimental films don't always click with me. Um, I do prefer story. I'm a strong proponent of story-based film. Not saying that other films don't have a place, but that is where I tend to find my own taste lying. I like story. Um, and the story here is haphazardly told. Uh, a lot of details are left out. And honestly, there are things that I still don't understand which we'll get into in spoilers. Um, But that's my take. Corey, what about you? You're the one who picked this. You're a bigger David Bowie fan than I am for sure. What did you think of The Man Who Fell to Earth? Um, So I bought this movie when it was reissued not long after he died. So that was also another... Factor. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm lukewarm. I... mm, I it didn't need to be two hours and nineteen minutes. I feel like they could have told the story in an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I I don't know. I I feel like 
I'll just talk more in spoilers. There's um a lot I felt uh that like some of uh, there would be moments where I thought like wow that was really cool and then they would like say what it was like like they didn't trust us to have interpreted it and that bugs me when movies do that when like they give us the obvious it's like look guys you gotta trust that we can figure some of this stuff out without you saying it um but uh candy clark who in the movie she plays mary lou who's a little hard to like she does some things that are just weird uh that i'm like no no person would do what she's doing right now um and and yet she also is the most empathetic character in this movie um there's some lines that i i will get into in spoilers but uh i do want to kind of praise that performance um because i i don't think i should have liked her and i did uh she she really made me feel for her cuz she's she's kind of ditzy and um and yet i i feel a lot of empathy for her um i also david bowie i thought was really good in this um i i've only seen him i think in uh the prestige okay. outside of this oh have you not seen the labyrinth oh yeah duh of course i've seen the labyrinth i'm sorry um in fact i was gonna make a joke dang i forgot i hate when i forget the jokes that i plan ahead of time i was gonna act like i, <laughs> I, I watched you. i was gonna plan that i watched the wrong movie and I watched Labyrinth ah! um, to get you back from last week. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm a dummy. Um, I, I've i seen him in those movies. I've also seen him in The Hunger a long time ago. Um, I actually really want to rewatch that one. But, Is that you know, I, there's just The Hunger. I think he's a vampire and he, oh, okay. um, like, his partner is also a vampire. But, um. I don't, I don't, there's just something about him that's, I, I feel like if I, when I think about him, it, he like in, reinvented himself all the time and his music is really good and all of these things, but I still, I don't know. Like, I feel like, I can't believe that he was as popular and like well loved across so many generations mm. i guess because he is strange and i'm not knocking that i love that about him no but, but i, I just feel saying. like he's he's bigger than i think that anybody else we see gaga trying to do it and you know but she's having some success with it but yeah she has i think a little more resistance or also i just feel like i don't know but what you're I, saying is that like he's not a personality that should have been so ubiquitous and yet is and that is an impressive feat i think probably maybe the most impressive feat about his talent is that he he transcended the genre of or he transcended like uh his fan base like he 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 went to demographics that most artists like that wouldn't be able to um and that is a that is impressive because he is different um and that he was able to change and and because like if you look at bands now, when a band changes their style or their sound, fans will like turn on them immediately. Revolt. And so that he was able to do that and keep his fans is also speaks volumes. And you know? I feel like it just like made it even more. It made it bigger. And I, I, I mean, it's just so crazy because he was successful and popular for for so many decades too. Mm -hmm. um, and I. I like seeing him like doing 
music and then movies and things and even like none of those things were ever held against him because I don't feel like many musicians can be actors and be taken seriously. True. Although there has been a bigger push in recent years, I think, um, with that. And it's it's such a weird thing that we say that because so many actors uh, were musicians. Like, I mean, you look at Russell Crowe, Bruce Willis, Hugh Jackman. They've all got bands and stuff that they've done outside or they've done Broadway. I think we just have this in our head that uh, there's no way someone can be so talented. And some of them aren't as multi-talented, mind you. Like David Bowie's... Um, I mean, here... His performance is meant to be stoic, like he's very passive and quiet, and they even kind of make a jab at his like thin, how thin he is, because um, I'm assuming that's how thin he always was, not just for this role. Like I don't think he went method on this. Um, and there's like a joke made that he needs to eat a sandwich or whatever. Yeah, I think this was the same. I'm pretty sure he was badly into drugs at this point. Probably, um, 70s and and rock and roll uh, kind of went hand in hand. Um. All right, well, let's get into spoilers. Corey and I both not loving, but also not willing to, uh, we're not passively against, or I'm sorry, we're, we're not aggressively against this movie. We're just somewhere in the in the internal temperature of a Tauntaun range. Um, <coughs> that said, uh, Corey, let's give the spoiler warning. Guys, from here on out, we are going to talk about the man who fell to earth in great detail. You can pause and come back, but otherwise, spoilers, you've been warned. We'll steam ahead. Okay, so there is some comedy in this movie. Um, a lot of it comes from Farnsworth, uh, the guy, the attorney that becomes his business partner, played by Buck Henry. Um, it's like there's a part where he, uh, he's talking it over with his, which, by the way, 1976 film, uh, they never outright say that Farnsworth is gay, but he's clearly <laughs> gay. Um, I love it. <laughs> and is in a, a very monogamous relationship, which I don't think would have been commonly depicted at that time. I think a lot of times when you see like homosexuality in an older movie, it's depicted as like debauchery and they, they fool around with everybody. Um, they're not, they're like sexual deviants. And here is like a married couple, you know? And while well, again, they never outright say it, it, it to me was very blatant. Um, especially the, the conversations that he would have with the guy whose name I didn't catch the guy's name that it was his partner. Um, but to me, it was very, very clear that they were like a married couple Especially because uh, the time in this movie passes like crazy. Like, I, I don't know how long we're with the characters, but it's got to be 20 years at least. Um, and the only one who doesn't age is David Bowie because he's essentially in costume. Um, but like Rip Torn, Rip Torn ages, Candy ages a lot. Uh, Buck Henry or Oliver uh, Farmsworth, he ages, I think, the most. Like, he, he's so noticeably older by the... Uh, by his end um but there's a scene when he's first debating whether or not to uh take on this new job where he would become like the, the partner of world enterprises uh he says this analogy about like the my dad said if somebody gives you a gift horse you walk right up put your hands and open its mouth because the old expression is never look a gift horse in the mouth and the guy's like oh that's good advice and he's like yeah but my father was always wrong and just the way he says it like, it made me laugh. I was like, man, that's really funny. Um, and there's moments like that throughout this film where there's these little throwaway lines. Uh, Mary Lou and or uh, Candy gets a lot of the, like, kind of sad but comedic lines. Um, the saddest is when they've apparently been together for a little while. Uh, her and uh, Tommy, 
which is uh, David Bowie's character. Um, and she asks, she starts asking questions. Like, you don't know for sure how long they've been together, but you get the implication they've been together for a little while. And um, she says, are you married? And he says, yes. And um, I'm trying to, where, where I wrote the line down, where did it go? Um, she says, uh, I guess I'll do for now. I, I know I freaking wrote this line. I don't see it now. Um, do you remember that scene, Corey? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's when they're in the car, isn't it? Uh, it's in the, it's in like, I guess it's her house or her apartment when they, right, cause they meet at the hotel, right? Which, <laughs> the weirdest scene, right? Like, uh, yeah. So, are you talking about in the elevator when he like loses his balance and he gets all. That's when she first I... meets him. Yes. Yeah. But that's well, not I... what she says the line I'm talking about, but that is mm. the, the scene. I felt like that whole part, though, where she, like, stays with him in the hotel room is probably one of those weird things that no one would ever do that you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, where she, like, drags the guy that she may have killed. She picks him <laughs> up and carries him like a new bride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, you weigh, like, 90 pounds, but so does he. But, but she's really strong. Yeah, yeah but just... I mean, even, like, like so he collapses in the elevator, and her instinct is like, oh, I'm gonna drag him out, because that's, that's how you treat someone who's passed out. You just drag him by their arm, and then eventually, yeah, she picks him up, um, and then she stays with him in the hotel room for a long time. Like, none of it makes sense. It's like, what are you it's doing? Like, you should be working, but... Yeah, where's her boss? Like, why isn't this, in, you know, being inquired? Um, I... I feel like that I... sequence sums up this movie, though. There's so many leaps in logic... That you're just like, what the hell is happening? But just go with it, I guess. And that's what the filmmaker did. I can't... I... Oh, I'm gonna mess up the verbiage on this. I can, can't keep from comparing the movie to the book, though. And the book isn't even long. I think it's like 220 or so pages. Mm. Not a long read, but like... Just... <sighs> what Walter are some Tevis, of the, the major differences? I feel like there's no emotion in this movie. Like, I felt devastated for him in the book. Um, By him, you... Tommy? David Tom, Bowie? Tom, yeah. Okay. Um, like, there... There are just so many different things. Like, um, oh, I'm forgetting the professor. Um, Dr. Bryce? Yes, Bryce. And it's like, Bryce is, like, out to get him in the book. And we only get, like, a little piece of that, and it's not even a big deal in the movie where he tries to take the x-ray of him when he comes to visit him in his house. Yeah. It's, like, not even a big deal. But it, but Bryce is, like, so, like, out to, he needs, he's trying to prove a point and, like, trying to set him up and all of these things. Um, And they, I felt like they didn't really, like, that little scene in the elevator where he gets a little woozy, but it's hard for him to be on Earth. Like, the gravity and the atmosphere and even, oh. like, the weather is so hard for him, and he was chosen to come to Earth because he he was the one that was the strongest and who could handle it the best. I just, the, the book is so good and so well-developed, even though it's short. I don't feel like Walter Tevis wastes a word. And in the movie, it's just so flat. It's absolutely flat. Well, and you you don't really get a sense of, like, we're told that his planet's dying, but we're told, like, way late. Like, we're told so far into the film. 
And yeah, and there's not that sense of urgency. Like he is mm. on Earth for a long time in the book, but he's really trying to get back home. Yeah. To like, like save everybody. We're told when he first tells Farnsworth about his patents, he says three years. And then like all of a sudden I think like more has passed and he's still on Earth and it doesn't look like he's trying anything. And then there's the he gets Barn or I'm sorry, Bryce to help with like the spaceship thing. And then it doesn't make any sense to Nothing. me in the film because he's there. It looks like he's there for the launch, right? Like there's all this press and then Arthur grabs him and puts him in the car and he seems okay with that. Like he was okay with not getting in the ship, but I'm like, wasn't this whole thing about the getting into the ship? Isn't that why he's wearing the silver suit? And then next thing you know, he's being experimented on. So I think we're supposed to be, there was this like other company who wanted to buy out we and i guess it's a hostile takeover like it's not really clear it does a horrible job of, of walking through anything that resembles a, a plot um it's things just happen and you're supposed to fill in the blanks which i'm okay with but the blanks are huge and it's asking a lot um especially because there isn't that emotional investment because like we see shots of like aliens with a, obviously two kids but it's so haphazardly inserted into the film that at first there's no context to it. And then even when they add context that we realize that he's one of those aliens, it, it doesn't, there's no like stakes. It's just like, why did you leave your family? Like, it doesn't make sense. Cause I don't think they explain it. Like the book did where like he was sent to earth. It's almost just like he abandoned his family. Like, look, I'll be back. I'm going to go find a place and I'll come back for you. And even more, it's never explained what he's going to do when he goes back. Like, he, has, he, he doesn't seem like he's solved anything. He, he's going to go back to the dying planet and just die? Is that he, what's going to happen? Uh, he Well, that, they left that whatever in the movie, but he's wanting to bring them to Earth. Or, yeah, because they don't have any water yeah, on it's his a, planet, and they've ravaged his planet with war. Mm. And... And um, we're we're told that in the movie, but it it's again it's done kind of haphazardly. It's not articulated well. No, I. Mm, and so I understand with like some changes from books to movies, and you know, like my favorite example that I've ever read is um, Amityville Horror. Mm-hmm. I love the book. It was the I think one of the only books that's ever like scared me a little bit but i and if you've ever watched the movie well in the book there's a talking pig i can understand not putting the talking pig in the movie because that's gonna look dumb yeah it's gonna be dumb but there were just so many changes and we don't talk about the movies before we talk about the movies on the movie club but when you like texted me about all the sex and it's like i understand sex sells but it was just it was like a softcore porn i just didn't there was no sense in it there i one of the other reviews i read uh referred to this as like this meshing of all these different genres and one of the genres was a skin flick and i was like yeah that's yes it's a it's a skin flick it's it's like a 76 film it it has a lot of elements that i would have thought would be like porn like i mean we don't see a lot of naked men and I'm not opposed to that. Like I'm, I'm not one of those people who's like, only show the girls. Like I understand it it should be both, but it's still shocking when you see a male like genitalia in a movie because it's so rare. It is 
Um, I guess you could argue refreshing here that it, hey, look, at least you don't just see the girls. I felt I felt a little better about it actually because yeah. you know we do see three women. It, it's a, it's way more equal than well, poor you know, Candy. Most... We see a lot though, and um, yeah. uh, the butt bites, like the butt bite, <laughs> it was just so awkward. It's very sexual, uh, much more than you would see in a lot of movies. Like they're actually like. Because, again, a lot of times you just see them, like, grinding on each other, and it's implied that they're having sex, but we kind of... People don't have sex like that, you know? But here, it's like, he does... He bites her on the butt, um, which I thought in today's modern term where a meme is eating ass, I was like, well, there you go. Uh, 76. Um, David Bowie on a film is actually doing that. You know, they're... Also, in the book, they I, they kind of show it in the movie, but I don't think that you get all the context that you get in the book like him becoming more human mm. and alcohol really 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 is bad for him in the book and like him watching like all the tvs and all that stuff and of course like the loneliness mm. i just i'm just having a hard time with this movie the um the eyeball okay so there's a few moments that made me look away i i don't like eye things so when he goes to take out his contacts and become like the alien form for the first time freaked me out um and like in that whole sequence with him like as the alien and her uh, and her peeing herself <laughs> yeah <laughs> which was a weird shot anyways but then and then she goes and gets in the bed yes right right away like so gross. it's so gross she like pissed <laughs> on herself so and then she just takes her underwear off and is like all sexually charged and then like freaks out again <laughs> Um, it was it was a lot. That whole sequence was really kind of silly and ridiculous. Um, and okay, so then there's uh him standing in the mirror like pinching his own nipples, which is right before he does the eye thing, uh, which was weird. But then when they're experimenting on him and they're like slicing his nipple, like why are they slicing his nipple? Like it doesn't make any sense. Like and they I just thought stop. in the book that those are like removable. Yes, but in the they cut them, Corey. Yeah, they cut them with a knife, and then they just stop. Like, why did they stop? Was it supposed to let us know maybe they were removable, but now they're not? Like, because the, that's what mm-hmm. when they go to take out his contacts, they like don't, and then uh, he's like, "Now I can't ever take them off." Like, he's becoming See, that, more permanent. It was so emotionless. Like in the book, it's just so. To use the in the book, it's just devastating and like so sad. I don't. <sighs> and not long after that, we have the uh, gun slash blanks slash sex sequence, where yeah, it looks like was... he's gonna kill her, um, and she holds up a banana to her face to prevent the bullet from hitting her. Uh, <laughs> which Lots of <laughs> drugs. Yeah, um, but uh, then it turns out it's blanks, and then it's this weird, like, sex scene, and there's, I think this is a scene where uh, there's a shot of the two of them looking at each other with a white background, and it fades to white, and then it comes back, and it's a black background, and they're now looking at the camera. It's, like, the most artsy, nonsense shot. I'm just like, wow, this is where the movie says, we're experimental, so don't judge us the way you would judge other movies. And that's when I'm like, yeah, but it's I don't think... It's Yeah, I don't know that experimental excuses crap. Uh, some people think so. Um, which, by the way, for an experimental film, lots of beef eater gin. Like, if that wasn't a product placement. Because there are so <laughs> many bottles of beef eater gin throughout this movie. 
Um, I mean, even an experimental film needs money, so I'm not I'm not trying to say they it's not. They had to pay Bowie. But oh my god, uh, there was so much of it. Um, and uh, yeah, the, there's the Icarus poem at one point in the movie um, in, in the art book, which is clearly like parallel to the idea of like there's a lot here there's like stuff that can be interpreted so i don't want to like downplay it's not just nonsense with nothing there um i don't know if i fully understand all of it but yeah and i just well like there's clearly like there's a a whole like bryce has this whole speech that he gives his boss at the at the college about like uh man it's basically like man versus technology like he's totally seems opposed to tech and um, saying like all your textbooks and things, kids need to experience life and be a part of it, which I, the whole Dr. Bryce character just never clicks for me. And it sounds like the book, he's more of an antagonistic character. I don't really know what his deal is here. Um, we get multiple voiceovers. Um, like you hear Bryce talking, uh, it's, we hear his inner thoughts at some points. We hear Mary Lou's inner thoughts at some points. Um, I mean, it's just, it's just so many things going on. Uh, even there's a sequence the when, po- uh, go ahead. I was going to say that poem is in the book too. Ah, well, so I clearly, it, it parallels the man who fell to earth. The, he flew too close to the sun. Um, but, uh, there's a scene where they're, they're in a car, uh, him and Mary Lou, and he sees pioneers, you know, like he sees like people like in wagons and they see the car. But Mary Lou doesn't see them. There's just an empty field. That was so weird. I, I, it, it seemed to imply, and he says it later that he sees like everything. Like he is aware of time and space, in a, like a godlike mm. level. Um, which would explain the patents as well. Like, uh, I don't believe he actually like created the patents. I think he was able no. to, you know, they. Go ahead. Keep talking over you. I'm sorry. They were things that they already use, or it was like I don't know how to word it, but technology or whatever from his planet. It wasn't. Mm. He didn't make any of it up. Got it. So it just happened to yeah. Well, it's not, that's again definitely not a hundred percent explained. I mean, if you have a basic understanding of patent law, you understand how he made his money so fast. But um, yeah, it's I, I was. There's some really interesting uh, stuff in this. Um, I, I, speaking of some of the technology, I love their their version of like the Polaroid, where it's like the whole yeah. reel of film develops. Um, I thought that was really cool, and his glasses, which are now a norm. I don't know when glasses that had lenses that could turn to sunglasses became a thing, but that happens in this movie. I don't know if I, to me that feels like something that I didn't know about until the '90s. So, yeah. I'm not sure if that's accurate. I've not done any like research on that now, but I thought that was another. I'm like, oh, if that was uh, just a sci-fi uh, ahead of its time kind of thing or not. Transitions optical. Uh, maybe that's just the brand, but that says 1990. See, look at me guessing accurately. Um, Adaptive lenses. Yeah, it, it seemed like a new technology when it came out because it still isn't perfect now. Like they still take too long to like transition back. I like I see people walk inside and it's like ten minutes before they can see again because there's still sunglasses. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, overall, um, there's some interesting stuff in this movie. It's definitely a, a compelling sci-fi 
Um, I definitely think it's missing uh, a, a cohesive narrative that makes it super compelling. But I do see why people could get into this movie. Um, and I think I think this movie would probably benefit multiple watches. Um, I think you could take something away from it each time. At At, two hours and 19 minutes, though. That's what I was about to say. Like, I don't know if I could, if I would be willing to put in that kind of time, unfortunately. Um, As of right now, I'm good. I'm willing to not come back to this movie uh, anytime soon. Do you have anything else you want to complain about or vent about or praise? (laughs) Um, Hmm. I, I, it makes me want to reread the book, actually. I'm actually kind of com- interested in the book after you talking about it, so. it And I loved it so much, I ordered another of his novels, The Queen's Gambit. But I don't know how to play chess, so I'll let you know how that goes, because. <laughs> it's a chess book, huh? Yeah, the main character in it uh, becomes a very good chess player. Interesting. Yeah. Well, um, I'm going to go not a total waste of time uh, for my rating. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I would recommend this movie to most people, and it's not one that I uh, I plan on revisiting anytime soon. Uh, I am torn, as always, between not a total waste of time and a decent watch. Yeah, and I mean, I was, I was torn as well. I just, I went with the lower rating because... I, I am again heavily reliant on story. Um, not not that a movie again has to have a great story or uh, needs a story, but I do tend to click more with a film if it does, or even be more forgiving to a film if the story is compelling enough for me. And while I think the premise is compelling, I don't think the execution is at all, um, and that's that's disappointing. Agreed. All right, there you have it, folks. The man who fell to earth. Uh, is not a total waste of time and maybe a little bit of a decent watch. There is some good stuff there. And again, uh, if you love this movie and we have uh, angered you, please explain it to us because we're willing to, to listen. Um, I would say on average, we don't go into a movie wanting to dislike it. And uh, I am you know, disappointed. I was really hoping that this would be a movie that I'm like, wow, I'm so blown away. Um, and instead I'm just like, wow, that was something. Um, you know, that it was something, uh, that leads us into our next out of this world uh, movie, which I picked. Um, I went with 2002's Solaris, uh, that stars George Clooney, um, gonna, Natasha McElhorn, McElhone. I'm not saying sure. Oh wow, Viola Davis is in this. Wow, that's got to be one of her earliest films for me. Um, Jeremy Davies, uh, Ulrich Tucker, John Cho, who I'm a big fan of, um, and that looks like the the main people that I recognize. Um, it is directed by Steven Soderbergh, which is one of the reasons I selected this movie. Um, I've been trying to work my way through some of his stuff. He did Unsane from last year, as well as Logan Lucky from, I believe, the year before. And, uh, the Oceans trilogy is his big claim to fame. Um, the movie has a 60... Ah, I haven't seen Traffic. Um, he's, uh, the movie has a 65 meta score, 6.2 IMDb user score, um... And the premise is a troubled uh, psychologist is sent to investigate the crew of an isolated research station orbiting a bizarre planet. Um, yeah, so it meets the out of this world uh, theme. And it is from, again, 2002. Um, from what I've seen, it is not available to stream on anything. 
um, as for subscription, but you can rent it on iTunes or Amazon Prime or Vudu um, for a low price. And we will be watching it on one of those platforms. We would love to hear your thoughts on Solaris or uh, if you watch The Man Who Fell to Earth and you want to share with us your thoughts, um, you can reach out to us on social media. I am at Burke Reviews. At Corey R. Star, two R's on the end. And you can, if you use the Anchor.fm app to listen to our podcast, you can call our episodes or call our show and leave a voicemail. And if you uh, leave a voicemail that we want to put on the episode, we could include you into that. So feel free to reach out to us on Anchor.fm. Uh, we might use your voicemail message in an episode. Um, if you like the show, please uh, rate and review us. Um, share it on your social media platforms because the more listeners we get, uh, the better it is for us. It helps us with a lot of things, getting new sponsors and things like that. So we are uh, grateful for your time. We look forward to another year of movie watching with our movie club podcast. Um, Corey and I also do our top five movie podcast with Mike. Uh, that comes out every other week. In January, we're going to be doing two episodes that look back at 2018. Um, our first one is uh, what we call the top uh, top five movies we'd return, meaning movies that we watched in 2018 that we wish we hadn't. Um, and then we'll do our top five movies of 2018. And those are actually movies that were released in the year. Um, so those will be coming out soon. If you subscribe to this podcast, you'll get those as well. Um, Corey, anything to say before we head off? Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Yes, have a, have a good new year. Um, I hope you stay true to any of your resolutions. Um, until next time, though, keep watching movies. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com Do you like movies? Do you like podcasts? Or are you just lonely? If the answer is yes, and even if it's not, and check out the What I Watch Tonight show's filmtastic selection of podcasts. Covering the entire movie-verse, there's something for everyone. So come check it out. More details at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk or from all good podcast providers. <laughs>